Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. And to talk about that and more, he was there with the athletic Zach Kiefer's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I thought that Jim Irsay was the performer. I thought that Jeff Saturday was the straight man, and the angry dude was played by Chris Ballard. To me, it was almost like in an in-living color skit more than it was a press conference last night. What do you think? Yeah, John, we've, we've had some strange press conferences at that facility over the last couple of years. This was right up there. This wasn't as stunning as the Andrew Luck News in 2019, but this was a little bit different. I thought Jeff Saturday shined. I thought he stood out. I thought you could see the, the charisma and all the things they like in him. Now, I don't know if this goes well. I don't necessarily think it does, but there's a lot to like about Jeff Saturday. And if this goes poorly, this is not on him by any means, but you know, a couple shots at the media from, from Chris Ballard and from Jim Mercer, some strange references to the CIA, a trip to Mars, Michael Jordan's missed shot, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think our tolerance for strange press conferences in this city is a little bit higher than most, but um, a very bizarre, a very bizarre night at West 56th Street. How much do you think this, this hiring that Jim Mercer, and clearly this is Jim Mercer, all Jim Mercer right here, and we'll get to Chris Ballard and more in just a second. How much of this, again, is him embracing, much like I do and a lot of us do, the golden era, the past of success with the Jeff Saturday, Peyton Manning, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Bill Poley, and Tony Dungy era? Yeah, that's such a good point. I, I think they're grasping at straws here. They're trying to cling to the golden days. They're trying to pull back. And the problem with that is Andrew Luck's gone. Peyton Manning's gone. You're not going to recapture that. You don't have this lottery ticket at the top of the draft. And even if you fight your way in to the top five, and I know that's a strange way to put it, but it feels like they need to fight their way in by losing some games, you're not going to get an Andrew Luck or a Peyton Manning. So you're going to have to do it a different way. And they've been very – you know, that's been proven over the last couple of years. They, they can't do it a different way. They haven't figured out how to do it without that guy at quarterback. And so this seems like a desperate move, like a desperate move from a desperate franchise that's fading further in, into dysfunction. And it feels like it's being driven by the guy at the top, Jim Irsay. We've talked about this on here before, but this is a third straight massive move driven by the owner who – Long has promised he wouldn't meddle, right? He wouldn't make these decisions for his head coach or his GM, but it feels like it was him who drew the, you know, drove the bus with Carson Wentz. It was him who ordered the benching of Matt Ryan, and it was certainly him who drove the bus with this strange hire of just Saturday. It's, uh, Zach Kiefer joins us, and I think because I do as well, I'm very nostalgic, and we, we love the days where either the team you cover – or the team that you're a fan of has a high level of success. And certainly we remember that era fondly. And so does Jim Irsay. But I think that even as much as Peyton Manning, even as much as Tony Dungy, and even Jeff Saturday, for example, Bill Polian, for example, the thing that stands out that I think moving forward now that Jim is going to have to embrace about the past is when they had that high level, that elite level success of the NFL, he stayed out of it. 
He stayed out of the football operations as he's been meddling, as you mentioned here most recently. That, I think, more than anything else, once we move forward, because I happen to believe Jeff Saturday's here, regardless of what happens in these games for the rest of the season in some capacity. We'll talk about that in a second. But if Jim really wants to embrace the past, to me, he needs to let the football people handle the football stuff. That's a really good point. What happens? What happens if Bill Polling is running this show? And I understand that Bill Polling is far more accomplished than Chris Ballard, but what happens if Bill Polling is running the show and he tells him who he's hiring as his head coach? Polling would have quit right there on the spot, right? I mean, I don't think there's any debate about that. And and this is this is very fascinating because we have talked about how for years, for decades, he has fought to not be the owner that his father was. And he's not anywhere near the owner his father was in terms of volatility. Let's not be crazy. But he's starting to step in. He's starting to make these decisions. And really, it's a bad look when you tell your head coach that he has to bench the quarterback. That probably gives them the best chance to win. I could make a case for two quarterbacks over Sam Ellinger right now on this roster. You bench Matt Ryan. You move to Sam Ellinger, which undeniably makes you a worse offense and then you pull out the rug from Frank Reich two games later. Now, Frank Reich's hands are dirty. He pushed for the Carson Wentz trade. The offense was a mess. I was there in Foxborough on Sunday. You could see it in Frank Reich's face. You could hear it in his words. He knew that it was over. But that's the problems that you're talking about when an owner is stepping in and directing moves needing to be made, not letting the GM be the GM, not letting the coach coach. This is new territory, and it's changed a lot over the last 12 months here. Yeah, he needs to be more like he was then and less like what – I don't know if he's trying to be or if it's just kind of a a performance ego from, you know, doing concerts and, you know, getting the accolades at the owners' meetings and all of this. It seems like there's a little bit of a performance ego that was going last night too, at least to me. Yeah, that was the very word that I used. That was the very word that I used last night in my story – talking about an owner who's driving these changes and who's making these very, very strange and bizarre moves driven by both impatience and ego. And it feels like that. We asked a million times last night, why Jeff Saturday? And I understand Jeff Saturday is an awesome dude, right? Everybody's going to agree out there. He's a great Colt. He's one of the best players in franchise history. That doesn't make him qualified to go from ESPN analyst to head coach in one day. And the, the answer we got from Jim Irsay was essentially he likes him, right? I mean, that, that just, that's not going to fly in this league in this year right now. So Zach Key for The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. You, like me, believe that it doesn't matter what happens in these games here beginning on Sunday in Vegas, that in some position, whether it's head coach, player personnel, decision maker, general manager, team president, Jeff Saturday is going to have a seat in this organization. Yeah, I think so. And I think Jeff Saturday is, is attacking this as a trial. I don't think he knows for sure if he wants to be the head coach long-term. I think they said that last night, but I think they're also tiptoeing this Rooney rule where they want to have a full, complete, objective search in January when this ends and then find the right guy. But I don't think, Je- I don't think Jeff, Jeff Saturday really, really knows if he wants to be a head coach full-time. But he's going to dive in, and he's going to learn what it's really like to be a head coach. I had a lot of people reach out to me yesterday, scouts, executives, former coaches that were in that building that would say, you don't just bring a guy in off the street to be a head coach. There's so many things that a head coach does that nobody has an idea about. And he's going to learn real quick. Now, Jeff Saturday knows the NFL schedule, 
But um, there's a lot of things that are going to hit him pretty quickly. So what do you think? Is Do you think he's going to have a spot, though? Do you think it's it would be determined? Do you think it might be a general manager, player personnel decision maker, a team president, over the head coach when it's said and done here? You know, John, I've covered this team for nine years. There is nothing I am ruling out. There is nothing I'm ruling out. Jim Irsay did give a vote of confidence for Chris Ballard, a, a pretty defiant vote of confidence for Chris Ballard yesterday, saying that um, he's a winner. Michael Jordan missed shots in his career, um, which is strange because this is the same owner that talks about winning multiple Super Bowls and winning three Super Bowls in a row, and he, and he props up these, we're in the top quartile of the top quartile of the top quartile. Well, you're, you're not that anymore, and I don't want to hear about your record since 2000. You haven't won more than one playoff game in seven years. You haven't won a division title since 2014. You haven't done anything of substance since Andrew Luck walked out the door. That's the reality. So they can talk all they want about the glory days, but this is a mediocre football team that's becoming a bad football team that went 0 for 14 on third down on Sunday and had the most had the least amount of yards they've had in a quarter century. So those are the re- those are the real issues that need to be attacked right now. And um, whether Chris Ballard is back, I don't know how much we can put into Jim Mercer's word right now because he said two weeks ago that Frank Reich was safe. So Zach Key for the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What did you make of the demeanor of Chris Ballard yesterday? Was it just where this season is right now, or was there a lot to do with – what surrounded a, as they talked about, spirited conversation regarding this decision. And again, my estimation is that Chris Ballard wanted no part of it. Ultimately, the owner is going to win all of these conversations. How much did that play a role, again, with his demeanor that we saw at that press conference last night? Yeah, I think that's a fair, that's a fair point. I think it's a good point because you saw a different Chris Ballard last night, and, and I think we saw that late. August, early September, almost a snappish, uh, a little defiance from, from the general manager that hasn't really attacked press conferences like that in the past. I'm guessing here because last night publicly, you know, Chris Ballard admitted that he tried to hire Jeff Saturday a couple times. They've been around each other quite a bit. But this was Jim Irsay's move, right? All the chips line up with that. This was Jim Irsay's move. And when he called Jeff Saturday, Jeff Saturday's response was, wait, 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 you need to tell me why I'm a candidate because this is stunning to me. And he said it was a, to say it was a shock was an understatement. So um, if you're a GM that's, I don't know, not on thin ice, because that doesn't seem to match up with what Jim Mercer said last night, but if you're a GM that's maybe not as highly in favor as you once were, you go hire uh, ESPN analyst who's never coached a game in college or the NFL to be your head coach for a season that, you say is not waving the white flag. That just, it just doesn't match up. It just doesn't match up. And so I imagine those spirited conversations were decided by the owner saying, we're going to hire this guy, whether you like it or not. But that's just my guess. What do you think that the, the idea of Jeff Saturday began with Jim Irsay? What, what was the inspiration here? You know, I'm, I'm guessing here, but what, what happened a week earlier? Like what happened a week earlier? The gang got back together, and, and that was it. Huh? Your glory. Yeah. You're, I'm guessing this is not what Jim Irsay said, but you know, I asked him directly when when the first time he thought about this, and he said it was Sunday night when he fired Frank and then called Jeff Saturday for the first time. But in his mind, that's a totally different animal. And 
what happened the week prior? They they put Tarek Glenn into the Ring of Honor. They had the whole gang back together. They had Peyton and Marvin and Reggie and Edgerin and Tarek and Dallas and Jeff Saturday banged the anvil. They had to be thinking. There had to be a conversation between Jeff and Ursay at some point where Ursay said, what's wrong with this team right now? And that had to be the first thing that popped into Jim Ursay's mind. Maybe Jeff Saturday will come back and save us because – they certainly fought back on the notion that they're waving the right flag and, and, and trying to lose games the rest of the way. But I, I did they watch their offense on Sunday in Foxborough? It's going to be really hard for this team that's turning to a 30-year-old in Parks Fraser that, to call plays to, to do any better the rest of the way. I mean, they're, they're running out of people to fire over there at West 56th Street. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. And I know that Manning said on the Manning cast last night when asked that he didn't know about it until – he found out about it from Adam Schefter, who was first to report it. You buy that? I don't. I don't. I think everybody in this organization probably gave Peyton Manning a call at some point over the last couple of days. But I'm, I'm just guessing here. I'm totally speculating, which is a little irresponsible. But I, I know that Jeff Saturday and, and Peyton Manning are very tight. This question was asked last night. We did not get a direct answer. It would not stun me if the guy at the top, Jim Mersey, or Jeff Saturday, reached out to Peyton to see what he thought about this mess that we saw Sunday in Foxborough and Frank Reich and the move to go to Jeff Saturday as an untested head coach. So, Zach Kiefer joins us. If they really wanted to legitimately win on Sunday, would they play Nick Foles? Yeah, like, I don't know if you heard Tony Dungy today. He, he said he wouldn't have benched Matt Ryan if he was the head coach, and he would be playing Nick Foles if Matt Ryan was injured over Sam Ellinger. I, the, the shame of it is you're, you're welcoming in the head coach in Jeff Saturday, who I don't think has a choice in who he's playing at quarterback. I don't and either. I agree. Yeah. Every every decision is so hamstrung right now because they're down so – like, who's the longest-tenured offensive coach on the staff right now? You ready for this? It's Chris Strasser. Yeah. So that just is a peek into how dysfunctional this team is right now. And some of the conversations I had from people around the league who have been in that building in different capacities over the last couple of years, stunned. They called it a circus. They couldn't believe this was real. And so I'm very anxious to get in the locker room tomorrow and ask the questions to the players, especially the veterans who came here to win, Matt Ryan, Stephon Gilmore, DeForest Buckner, who are doing their jobs for the most part, especially the second two, what do you guys think of all of this? Because this is unprecedented in modern NFL history. I think we talked after Matt Ryan was benched. And then not only when he was benched, I mean, at least it was a, a shoulder injury situation that you could lean on if you wanted to from a cold standpoint. But they went ahead and established that Ellinger was going to be the starter for a remainder of the year. And I had heard that some of the players in that locker room all, weren't altogether thrilled about that. So I can't imagine what they might feel about this. No, they weren't thrilled. They were not thrilled, whether they said it publicly or not. I've been around locker rooms long enough to know what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, and they weren't thrilled. They love Matt Ryan. And, and here's the other thing that's strange. You mentioned that they could have hid behind the shoulder injury with Matt Ryan. They didn't. They just said that, Matt, that, that Sam Ellinger is going to be the quarterback no matter what the rest of the way. What if he struggled? What if, you know, what, if you're trying to win games, if you're trying to do everything you can to win games, which is what you owe your defense the way it's playing, then why would you voluntarily play a quarterback who's not giving you the best chance to win? I mean, there's no way in my mind Nick Foles wouldn't have been better on Sunday in Foxborough. I mean, he's got a history of 
doing some stuff against Bill Belichick. And, and I think if Matt Ryan comes back healthy, I don't know when that'll be. I think he's still the best quarterback on this roster. I'm not ignoring the turnovers, the interceptions, and the fumbles, but you can't tell me. You can't tell me it gets worse than what we saw Sunday at Foxborough. No, and I, I think we know Ellinger, and I think if you really wanted to win, and I know people are going to laugh because it's Nick Foles, but because of his experience and because of who is going to be coaching, because of who is going to be calling the plays, I don't think there's any doubt if you really truly wanted to win, he would be starting a quarterback. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. Like, this is the one thing that Chris Ballard has said over the years that I'm going back to right now is, you guys watch the same games we do. Like, yeah, we do. Like, every fan that's out there watching these games, every listener you have, like, you guys watch the same stuff we do, and this is not that complicated. <laughs> no doubt about that. So, uh, we, we mentioned Ballard a little bit earlier as well. Zach Key for the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What, what compelled him, do you think? I, I, I called it or described it as pissiness, and that's because we'd all – talked about things within this team and then most of us with our opinions about this team in a lot of ways turned out to be accurate we have been accurate about the wide receiver position in the past did that just come to a head as to why he kind of lashed out at you guys in that room about that and then compared it to why the offensive line plays at, at such a low level this season yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if that was if that was thrown your your colleague's way, Kevin Bowen, who who was asked about the receiver, I don't know, a hundred times, and, and rightfully so, the last couple of years. And I've asked about it a lot as well. And I, I just don't know where that came from because if you spin it forward to the issues right now, I don't have a lot of issues with the wide receivers. Obviously, everything everything that's fallen apart, the root of it goes back to the line. The root of it goes back to the line and. I'm not going to sit here and blame Chris Ballard for Quentin Nelson and, and Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly's regression. That just makes no sense to me, and I'm not smart enough to understand why those guys have gotten so bad this season. But the two moves that are indefensible, that are absolutely indefensible, is Matt Pryor at left tackle and, and Danny Pinter at right guard. And I mean, it took him nine games to realize Pinter couldn't play. It took him three positions. Like, what is going on? Like, the average Joe on his couch can see that they can't those guys can't play and that they keep putting them out there. And you got a rookie, you're not a rookie quarterback, but a second year quarterback playing his second game. And he's just not making decisions quick enough. It's just a recipe for disaster. And you don't have to be super smart to understand that. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the frustration. You know, Chris has said for years that it's all about the O-line. It's all about the trenches. He's obsessed with it. That's his word obsessed. And it's gotta be gutting him right now. Actually, I know that it's gutting him right now, that, that that line, the most expensive line in the league, is just grossly underperforming. It cost Marcus Brady his job. It was one of the reasons Naheem wanted out, just because he was tired of not getting used the right way. And it cost Matt Ryan his job, and it cost Frank Reich his job. And, and now you've got a situation where you've got Jeff Saturday as the head coach, which is still strange to say, Sam Ellinger as the starting quarterback, and Parks Frazier as the play caller. Parks Frazier, did he get uh, called up to be that? play caller because he was Reich's assistant and uh, was as closely associated with his offense as anybody else or they just pull names out of a hat or what the hell <laughs> hey man Parks is a smart dude he he has climbed he is well respected by the players he is well respected by the coaches I'm not saying this is going to go well 
Um, I was surprised. Scott Milanovic has been a CFL head coach. He's called plays in the NFL. He's the head quarterback coach. Parks is the assistant quarterback coach. And I mean, this is, this is this loony world we live in right now with the Colts. I mean, you just never hear of a quality control coach calling plays a year later or two years later. Like that's just never happened, but nothing surprises me going back to our original statement. Like they could, they could go hire Pat McAfee to um, play safety tomorrow. And like, would it really surprise you that much? What do you expect on Sunday? Do you expect uh, a high level of FUBAR as I maintain, or will a lot of that be covered up because this is just how that team was last time out in New England and because somebody that most people around here hold in high regard is now coaching the team? How will that be viewed? Man, I don't know, but I can't wait to see it. My fascination level is probably at an all-time high. Now, check back with me in the second quarter and see if it's still the same, but I mean, don't you think Jeff's going to give him some oomph? Like, there's a lot to this guy. There's some charisma. I think, I think they're going to play hard for Jeff. He he he's really, in a lot of ways, everything that's great about football. Um, and I think his words matter. And I think the players will respect him. I think Frank Reich didn't lose the locker room because they respected him so much, but they were lifeless. Like this team was lifeless. You saw that Sunday in Foxborough. I think they'll come out with some juice Sunday. Now I just I just it's hard to have any faith in the offensive game plan. They're down so many coaches because they fired them. They've got a first-time play caller. Like things are going to go haywire. And how do they respond to that? They don't have a lot of experienced guys on staff. Like, why not have Matt Ryan be like an assistant quarterback coach if you're not going to play him? Like, that's a totally realistic scenario in my mind right now. I don't know if they're entertaining it, but I think they'll play well Sunday. Like hard. I don't think they're going to win. But, boy, if if the Raiders lose, that's a terrible look for Josh McDaniel. Yeah, there's no doubt. And that's another interesting twist right there. Do you think Jeff Saturday wants to start Ellinger? I'm going to ask that question tomorrow because Jeff Saturday's a smart football man, and he's got to know. He's got to know. And an offense that's struggling is going to get a lot better if they put a veteran out there, in my mind, who can get the ball out a lot quicker. Um, do we see Jonathan Taylor the rest of the season? I was talking with someone today, and they wouldn't be surprised if he does not come back because of that lingering ankle injury. It just makes too much sense. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but it's a, it's a tough look if you're not letting your new head coach who's going to have eight games to audition take the quarterback that's going to play for him. Would you call this situation a tank? Man, it, 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 on the surface, it sure seems like it with these moves. Like, there's no way to explain the moves otherwise. The problem is they're, like, they're not even close to the top five in the draft. So they're going to have to do some work to get up there, and I think it's totally possible. It's hard to see them winning more than two or three games the rest of the way. I do realize they have talent on this roster, but if you watch that offense Sunday in Foxborough, you know what I'm talking about. Um they're, they're fighting that narrative, though. Man, they are fighting it hard. Jim Mercer fought back hard against that last night. Chris Ballard did as well. And it, it doesn't seem like they brought in Jeff Saturday to lose games because that's just like, why. Why not just, why not just follow the script and, and have John Fox do it? No one would blame you for that. Yeah. Listen, maybe it does work out. Maybe it doesn't work out on Sunday, but maybe it works out 
with, you know, getting your feet wet and the rest of the season and somebody that you want to keep around moving in a different direction. Maybe it works out to finally get that elusive long-term future quarterback. I mean, maybe some things will work at work out that we're really just not thinking about right now because there's still that shock value of what's taken place in the past 24 hours, right? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think everyone out there that's listening to your show right now would agree. It doesn't matter how the rest of this goes. If you get a top five pick and if you find a quarterback, that's the only thing that matters. 2022 does not matter. They're not going to make the playoffs. All that matters is 2025. If you can find a guy that's going to be here for 10 years and get you off this rent-a-QB cycle that's so exhausting that this team is just tired of spinning its wheels on, then all of this is worth it, and you don't remember the 2022 season because it, it doesn't matter. How much do we talk about the 2011 season around here? We laugh about it, but the end result was such a substantial payoff that it doesn't bother anyone that they won two games and lost 14 that year. Zach Key for The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. What's your latest? Prop it up here. Man, I, re- I recapped a unbelievable surreal night uh, last night at the Colts facility. Uh, the lead is not kind to the Colts, but that's really what I took from last night. And tomorrow I'm going to canvas the locker room. I'm going to ask every player I can find about what they thought when they heard the news just Saturday, if they even knew who he was. Some of these younger guys, I would be surprised if they knew much about Jeff Saturday. And then I'm going to get the temperature in the locker room. For the, like the fifth time in the last couple of weeks, there's been a major move, and I want to hear what the players have to say about it. Yeah, the, the poker faces will probably abound for you coming up tomorrow. So I'm sure you're prepared for that. Always a pleasure, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. That's uh, Zach Key for The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline. He is the uh, data scientist for PFF, running numbers feverishly right now. From the heart of Vikings land, Vikings territory in Minnesota, it's Ben Brown. How are things up there? Has it snowed yet? It has not snowed uh, to the point where it's actually stuck on the ground, thankfully. But we have had a few uh, what we consider dustings around. In these I think it snowed here and actually so. stuck to the ground about a month ago. So what the hell really? am I talking about? Uh, right? I mean, but yeah. as long Did as, I dream it, that? As, long as that doesn't last. Wait a minute. Hold on a second, Ben. Kyle, I didn't dream that. It snowed here last month. No, it did not. It did, too. No, it didn't. I didn't, I didn't dream that. Ben, what's your data say? Did it snow here last month? Oh, man, the weather the weather history. Um, I think it actually did for just a little bit. It did, it too, did bro. not stick to the ground, I would say. So. Oh, it stuck. It stuck to my lawn. My yard <laughs> is what it did. Uh, speaking of sticking, how about the offense of the Colts? When In terms of all-time worst offensive performances in PFF history – where might Saturday's Colts offensive performance rank? It was really, I mean, I don't know if I could get that low given the filters that I need to put down there, but it was really, really bad. And I think, you know, kind of heading into the week, the, the, the scapegoat or whatever, uh, you know, Marcus Brady yeah. getting fired was supposed to be some sort of turnaround for this offense. But, uh, you, you know, even with Frank Reich out of the building as well, the pieces for why this team is not successful are still, I would say, very much in the building. And that's, you know, not going to speak too well to the long-term outlook for this year, especially. All right. Quarterback position. And I'm not going to lay everything at the feet of Sam Ellinger, but he was awful. Uh, much like the rest of this offense was awful. How bad did the numbers look in his second start? Yeah, it was really bad. It was. Uh, I think it was the worst passing performance 
uh, that we had basically in week nine. Uh, you know, not very much from his rushing ability either. So it was, it's bad. I mean, we, you wanted Ellinger to at least, uh, you know, provide some semblance of a floor based on some of the pass protection issues and everything else. And I don't think, uh, you know, we even got that really either. So he was uh, the 26th of the 27th ranked passing quarterback. The only person lower than him was PJ Walker on Sunday. So it was, Wait a minute! There was somebody lower. Win that type of game. There was somebody lower. It was actually lower, but he only had 13 dropbacks, and they brought in Baker Mayfield in the second half. So, uh, so for a person that actually you know played the whole game, Sam Ellinger was the worst. Yeah, yeah, he was by a long shot. Rest of the offense too. Offensive line. Where's that grading out this week? Because to me, the reason why we're going through. Um, all this upheaval and a new coach and a guy that's never coached that came on from ESPN here earlier in the week, like yesterday and Jeff Saturday. The reason why we're here starts with the offensive line and just how awful it has been this year. How bad was it last week? Where is it right now overall in the NFL? I think they're, yeah, I think we still have them, you know, 30th of 32 NFL teams, um, you know, from a pass blocking grade. I think they're 21st last week only. So they probably didn't get, you know, as much of a share of the blame as maybe we projected, but uh, they they were still, you know, definitely below league average. But, uh, you know, a lot of it was, uh, you know, Sam Ellinger also just really struggling as well. And when that kind of falls, you know, apart, uh, the rest of the offense goes in that direction as well. You know, we've been talking about this team here, Ben, in Indy tanking, right? And when you look at it, uh, there is a legitimate opportunity that they can jump in that top three. I guess that coveted top three range with teams, for example, like Houston, like Detroit, that will want Carolina as another, that ultimately will want to draft one of those top three quarterbacks. And the Colts have to be mentioned, I think, right there in that particular category, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely with you. I think right now, based on our, you know, win projections, we have them finishing, you know, 22nd, which is basically like, you know, the 10th the tenth overall pick or something like that. But if they can squeeze down, you know, <laughs> kind of like you said, because there's, there's some teams below them that, you know, kind of have at least, uh, you know, a moderate solution at the quarterback position. So, you know, they're only fighting off teams like, you know, Chicago, Jacksonville, and even Pittsburgh. Uh, they're much more in line to at least have somewhat of a pick uh, you know, of one of those quarterbacks when we come up here in April. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders are 2-6. and six. They play that team coming up on Sunday. But the Raiders, I wouldn't yep. think, with Derek Carr still, right? They won't go out and draft yeah. one of those top three quarterbacks. I mean, they might be like a longer-term solution. But, yeah, they still very much have like a, a, a veteran-aged, you know, roster that is set up to win now. And I think that, you know, when looking at it, uh, that, that was kind of maybe the move that the Colts could have gotten away from. But um, now here we are. And I think there is, you know, some – some opportunity or hope to actually, you know, finally bottom you out and, and finally having your, you know, quarterback of the future. Cause that's, you know, where the Colts found their success previously, right. And hitting on that quarterback position. And when you have that, uh, it, it masks a lot of these other issues that they're currently dealing with. Well, and I don't know what would mask the overall inefficiency and terribleness of this right. offensive line, but I would agree with you on that. I mean, that's certainly the direction they have to take, and it kind of looks like that's the way that they're going right now with some of these moves, certainly, that they have made. Ben Brown of PFFs on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. All right, on the bright side of things, the defense played well against a bad offensive team, certainly on Sunday. What do they look like so far through the halfway point, or at least in the neighborhood of the halfway point of the season? Yeah, I mean, we we, we have you know no qualms with, uh, the Colts defense. And I think that they've, you know, kind of shown that even last year, I think they were, 
you know, much more big play dependent. We kind of have them, uh, you know, trending in the right direction uh, defensively. I think a little bit of their issue has been, uh, you know, a secondary unit, which, uh, you know, isn't, I would say, getting a lot from a guy like Kenny Moore, especially in the slot. I think that's kind of their one downfall. But uh, I think you've very much gotten, uh, you know, almost all that you could ask for out of Stephon Gilmore. And I think Isaiah Rogers as well, playing at a pretty high level. So, they have, I would say, some pieces at crucial positions, which are allowing them to play, uh, you know, pretty good defensively. It's just, you know, it, it's tough to win a ten to seven football game week in and week out. Yeah, it is. But look at the numbers around the NFL, though. There seems like that not not just the games have been incredibly close. I mean, historically close. Uh, many of those so far this season, but it seems like the offensive numbers, at least scoring wise for most of the NFL is down. Is that correct? Yeah, it's very much down. It is kind of interesting because uh, even like the scoring that we are seeing has been very much driven by uh, like an uptick in rushing and defensive touchdowns and special teams touchdowns, right? So passing offense specifically, uh, and especially some of those explosive plays where we see, you know, 20 or more yard type, uh, receptions for touchdowns that is at you know the lowest it's been in the last like 15 years so that is kind of very much you know outside of just poor quarterback play in general uh very much you know driving uh i would say probably a less exciting product without you know passing offenses uh really being able to take hold so ben brown of pff he's with us via the andy moore automotive group hotline i know buffalo's got a situation with the elbow of josh allen moving forward how much of a red flag was it the way they played offensively and that loss they took against the jets are they still at the top of the nfl or is somebody else starting to replace them as we hit the midseason mark i still think they're um you know probably at the top obviously the josh allen injury concern uh, it is very concerning because he is, you know, in a lot of ways, their entire offense, right? It's not just going to be a drop-off in the passing game, but uh, they're going to experience, you know, I would say a much more difficult pass running the football as well without him kind of being, you know, that dynamic playmaker that does offer some threat in the rushing game. So I'm concerned, but uh, the injuries are very much kind of starting to, you know, catch up to them. Both are, you know, all pro safeties. Uh, Mike Highbelt for the year, Jordan Poyer has basically been, in and out of the lineup, they haven't gotten Tredavious White back in the fold in the secondary as well. So their injury situation was kind of being masked by a really good front four with Von Miller, you know, getting to the quarterback and generating some pressures really quickly. But if, if that's not hitting, uh, you know, they're pretty susceptible, I would say, in the secondary. And I think, you know, if you see some cracks in the foundation, if Josh Allen misses a couple games here and maybe they aren't in line for that, you know, AFC number one spot that we kind of had them locked into, then they do look, you know, once again, uh, very vulnerable in a one-game playoff setting, uh, especially against, you know, a, a litany of other good teams, I would say, in the AFC right now. So, although I still think they are, you know, the number one team, uh, I, I would say the gap has narrowed relatively significantly and could, you know, only increase in, at that rate uh, if Josh Allen misses any time here. Hey, ben, between the Jets and the Dolphins and the AFC East, which team looks, according to your PFF numbers, more legit at 6-3? and three? Yeah, we very much like uh, the Miami Dolphins uh, from, you know, even even just like a power rankings perspective outside of the AFCs. We like them uh, quite a bit just because they are, you know, one of 
uh, the only productive passing offenses that we've seen week in and week out, right? I think the main question with them uh, is definitely the defense, the secondary situation. Once again, pretty banged up and not really getting a lot of pressure. Uh, did trade for a guy like Bradley Chubb, so maybe that's a little bit of uh, a spot that you can buy into more. But the fact that they are very much winning, you know, over the top with really well-designed, successful pass plays where, you know, they're giving to a number of, uh, you know, pretty easy throws to make and they're being very successful in doing that. I think, you know, it, it points to them being, I would say, you know, very much legitimate contenders in the AFC. And I think that, you know, as long as, and especially if you are one of the only teams really productive passing the football, uh, that's going to give an edge over to you against any other team. And it's also going to be, you know, probably the sticky factor at the end of games for why you can maybe pull out some of these either come from behind victories or, you know, one score games that we're going to see more of, uh, you know, especially when it comes to the playoff. Time. Among these three teams, the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Chargers are the AFC. It's the pecking order starts with the Chiefs, but where might those other two teams with their quarterback play rank after the Chiefs? Yeah, so we like uh, the Ravens a little bit more than the Chargers. We have been, I would say, you know, pretty much lower on the Chargers than the rest of, you know, power rankings, betting markets, everybody else throughout the entire season. Uh, in some ways, probably feel justified with that, but their record has, you know, I, I would say even been a little bit better than their performance. So uh, I think given the injury situation of the Chargers, the Baltimore Ravens, who, you know, are, are in some ways very much beat up as well, but uh, have a very, I would say, easy pass forward coming up here over the remaining schedule. Uh, I think they are, you know, much more in line to finish with a higher seed, uh, maybe even challenge for that number one overall seed in the AFC. And if they do that, uh, you, you know, we've seen, you know, week in and week out, they're a very difficult team to beat when Lamar Jackson's playing as well as he is right now. So uh, yeah. uh, I think it's the Chiefs and I think it's the Ravens. And then uh, I would say definitely a tier or two below is the Chargers. You go with the 8-0 the unbeaten Philadelphia Eagles. Um, how far out in front are they of the one-loss Vikings? Because to me, numbers-wise, it seems like that they have more than an arm's length away from what the Vikings have done. Yet, you see Minnesota kind of surviving right there. They're one of the more impressive teams so far that's probably not getting a lot of the hype that certainly the Eagles are as an unbeaten team. Yeah, yeah. the, the narrative surrounding the Vikings is very much that they've been. Uh, they received a, a much bigger portion of luck plays in their direction than what any other team has. And in some ways, uh, you know, that, that is, that is in some ways played out, but I still think they, you know, have enough offensively and they're once again, you know, kind of pressing the right buttons from an offensive scheme standpoint to be successful with the guy, you know, like Kirk Cousins, that quarterback. And I think that speaks to, you know, Kevin O'Connell probably being the right hire and the right guy for this particular job. And he has, you know, the football team winning and having fun. And it seems like he's kind of changed the culture quite a bit. So, even if it has been, you know, a situation where, you know, some lucky plays have gone their way, I, I still think they are, you know, very much contenders. The problem is, is, you know, Philadelphia uh, is very much, I would say, the deepest roster in the NFL right now, right? When you look at the offensive line rankings, like you say, everything starts with the offensive line. That is where they are so much more dominant than any other team. We have them by far and away the best offensive line unit in the NFL. Uh, very strong, I would say, front four as well, and really good secondary. Uh, and they also have the playmakers at the wide receiver position. So I think if you were looking for, you know, a, a secondary team outside of Buffalo, uh, you know, the real conversation right now is how close they should, uh, you know, Philadelphia beat to Buffalo uh, and just how far away are those two teams, I would say, from the rest of the pack. So ben Brown of PFF, while I'm uh, making sure people know who you are, again, thumb through your notes and get to the Raiders because, Ben, 
Uh, 2-6 and six Raiders in Vegas coming up on Sunday. The debut of Jeff Saturday as the Colts' interim head coach happens. We know where the Colts have been, where they are at 3-5-1. and one. The Raiders are at an ugly 2-6 and six in their own right, numbers-wise on either side of the football. What's your impression so far? I mean, it has been, I would say, much worse than expected offensively. Obviously, we should expect some, you know, a few hiccups with a new, uh, a new, a new head coach kind of coming in, bringing in a new offensive scheme, new offensive coordinator, everything else. But, uh, you know, last week they finally got Devontae Adams involved. I think that was kind of like the second time he's been utilized well, uh, and definitely featured him in the first quarter and the first half of that game. The problem is, is they kind of let the game, you know, completely slip away once again. So I think they very much are a team, you know, much like the Colts, kind of in disarray, right? And even if they do play you know, well for the first half, uh, it's very much, you know, concerning that they don't seem to be able to kind of put a whole game together for four quarters. And I think that, you know, it's very much, you know, a a spot to buy low on the Indianapolis Colts in this matchup. Uh, But in saying that, you know, a a tumultuous week isn't really setting up for them to, you know, be able to play at their best either. So two teams that I, you know, don't really, uh, you know, buy into a whole lot from an offensive standpoint and defensively, Definitely still have some playmakers, right? And I do think, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, it's similar to the Colts' current structure. I mean, Max Crosby, you know, very much is, you know, a a top-five edge rusher uh, right now currently playing like that. But outside of him, you know, the secondaries, I would say, uh, in in a worse spot than what the Indianapolis Colts are. And I think, you know, outside of Max Crosby, uh, you know, they're knocking in a lot from a guy like Chandler Jones. And I think that, you know, it it speaks to him probably maybe more double-teamed than maybe, uh, you know, kind of capable of actually slowing him down a little bit. So uh, I I like the matchup for the Colts, I would say. Uh, Definitely a scary proposition to bet on them. But, uh, you know, I've been betting on them for the past couple weeks, and I haven't gotten the results I want. So maybe I should try to go back to the ball here one more time. But I think think the Raiders can maybe be on, you know, a little bit of an upset alert. alert. Maybe, uh, you know, the Colts could shift the narrative a little bit and, you know, maybe not be – you, you know, in some ways, the laughing stock of the NFL with the team that recently fired their head coach. If they do, win. <laughs> hey, by the way, the Raiders, I believe, have lost three games in which they've led by seventeen or more 17. points. Yep. Yeah, yep. so that's I mean, it's bad, not good. Right? It's bad. Not good. No. Stop betting on them, then. What's your problem? Well, I don't know. You may want to bet on them this weekend. However, maybe. Right. That's the problem. This is a really hard game for me to handicap because I actually did bet. Uh, on the Raiders last weekend as well. And I, 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 I'm only imagining it, but I was very cocky, I would say, at halftime on Sunday with them leading by 17 points, only to be, you know, kind of a laughing stock as well uh, in the second half for them. So two really poor bets I made on Sunday, uh, Colts, Raiders, uh, and, and now I have to choose between them once again here in week 10. So yeah, the, I'm, 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 I'm pretty split, I would say. The Kirk Cousins thing, you're just so happy about the Vikings right now. Right. That's, right, that's you. Right. I mean, that's a that's a big boost, and you know we'll see. Obviously, once again, you know the injury situation is kind of breaking uh, correctly for the Vikings, and if they do beat you know a Case Keenum led Buffalo Bills team, uh, they're, they're still not going to have many believers, right? So I think uh, you know the narrative is setting up for people to still be underestimating Minnesota for uh, a few more weeks here, which is you know I, I would say best case scenario for the long term outlook. That's for sure. I did say, and we talked about this in weeks prior that at some point Josh Allen is going to be injured, but I, this is not, I didn't expect the elbow thing. I expected it more, you know, on the run and all these RPOs. Cause I think he scored, he scored two touchdowns. 
Yep, two rushing. Yeah, two rushing touchdowns. Man, he, he runs it uh, t- too much for me. I mean, he just does. Right. Anyway, this is not what I expected with the shoulder, or I should say the elbow situation um, at all. Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Ben, it's always a pleasure. We'll see what happens, and be sure to crunch those Jeff Saturday-led Colts numbers. We'll be ready for you on Tuesday. I'm looking forward to it. Somebody's got to hold this thing accountable. I know they don't want to trust the analytics anymore, but maybe we can at least – Oh, yeah, uh, did you, you, know, did you take offense? A negative light based on that. Did you take I offense? Mean, a little bit, right? A little bit. Oh, I you're a little butthurt. Oh, Ben, don't be butthurt. I, I think it's a step backwards, to be honest with you. I, you know, uh, for as much as Frank Reich is obviously maligned right now or whatever, I do think, you know, at the beginning of his tenure, he was making uh, a lot of correct decisions. And I think, you know, the situation where they, they're talking about and how they're kind of portraying things now, uh, I would say is kind of very much, uh, a, a step backward even from that. And I don't know if that's necessarily the direction you want to go here uh, coming out, in my opinion. But Yeah. We'll I um, You're talking to somebody that's probably more eyeball test than he is analytics. That's right. just because I I'm get sick. Like when uh, – what was it, Kyle, that uh, Jim Irsay brought up again? Was it Quattro or what was that again? I'm I'm, I'm sorry. My uh, – yeah, I, I don't have a lot of Quadrants. words. Quadrant. What is it? The quadrants, right? Yeah, what was it again that he said? Do you not have that? Yeah, once I was going to I was going to play this for Ben. I want you to figure this this problem out, Ben, if you can hear it here. We're Kyle, the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000. All right, that means in the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's rare air. The hell is that? So I, the top quartile is the top 25th percentile, but then he went top quartile, top quartile, top quartile, which I don't even know if there's any teams left at that point in time. But uh, I'm assuming he's saying they're like the top second best team in the NFL since 2000, which uh, I, I don't know if my numbers back up. That's for sure on that one. So we'll see. But you think it's the first time Jim says ever, you think it's the first time he's ever used quartile in a sentence? I think so. So, I know. Well, this is my first uh, time. I mean, I, I thought color tile or bathroom tile. I'd never heard of quartile before. Does that make me a hillbilly? Uh, top? Uh, no, I would say <laughs> no, it doesn't. But it's essentially the upper quartile range, the top 25% uh, or, or bottom 25% as well, right? Is is at least the starting point. But he went he, he went to like the eight quartile or eight uh, tile, I would say, pretty quickly. I don't uh, even know what the eight. Uh, number. Alright, one more time. Kyle, play this again. Translate what is said here. Ben Brown of PFF. Go. We're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000. Alright, that means in the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's rare air. <laughs> Alright, so what happened there? What was said? It's, it's rare air, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. The fourth one is franchise in the league, so we're the upper quartile of the top quartile of the upper quartile. Is basically what I heard, uh, with one more quartile mixed in there. So I don't. I, I think if I'm running that number, he's basically saying he's the best team in the NFL, which isn't right. Maybe you can argue fourth one in this franchise in the league, but uh, I, I think he's overcomplicating the situation. I think that uh, it, you know is very much reflective of uh, maybe an unsound approach at this point in time. Did you study quartile? in class at Northwestern? There's very much, you know, a, a stats-based quartile, right? And it, it does fit in, and it's, you know, the, the bound base or whatever. You look at the mean, median, 25th percentile quartile, the 75th percentile quartile or whatever, right? That's 
essentially what I think he's referring to. But um, if you take it basically, there's 32 teams, you know, 16 in the NFL or whatever, uh, or 16 is basically the mean or whatever. Uh, then you have the upper eight. He's saying, you know, the, the upper eight of the four, he's he's up there in the second tier of the upper tier or something mm. like that is basically what he's saying. So Beautiful. Um, which is interesting. Don't it's be all but – no. Why don't you just say the fourth best team in the NFL if you're judging based on winning percentage. But um, I, I, I like to count championships personally here. And, with, and being a Vikings fan, we have zero, which is – uh, the bottom quartile, the bottom quartile, the bottom quartile. Uh, you've just you've, you've tied my brain up in knots right now. I got to quit the show. This is it. I'm done at 4:30. <laughs> Time for a beer. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. Talk at you next Tuesday. Sounds, sounds good. Have a good day. It's uh, Ben Brown of PFF. Post game show host Greg Rakestraw is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I described what we witnessed last night at that press conference. It kind of reminded me of. Uh, uh, a in living color skit or something. It it was yeah. like that. It, it was all more almost like more of a performance. I mean, you had you had Jim Irsay performing. Uh, Jeff Saturday was the straight man, and then Chris Ballard was the angry dude. It was something. Um, it was otherworldly, and, and I'm not sure that's that's in a good way as well. Um, if you had told me when I woke up yesterday morning that Frank Reich was going to get fired, I would say I would be slightly surprised, but but not stunned. If you had told me that Jeff Saturday simultaneously or within a couple of hours would be named the new head coach of the football team, well, um, I would have asked what you had been on, uh, to be to be blunt about it. Uh, I hope it works out for Jeff, um, but there's probably a reason why something like that has not been attempted in over six decades, which is to have someone that has not coached at the college or professional level become an NFL head coach. So it's it's been an amazing 48 hours, and uh, and I hope for the best come Sunday afternoon. Greg Graystraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Clearly, this would be a question grasping at straws, but I'm curious your answer because you've been around here forever, much like I've been around here forever. Is there any comparison to the elevation of a gig like Jeff Saturday to that of Larry Bird? taking over for the Pacers back in the late 90s after Larry Brown? I would say this. The, the, the answer is simply that's done in the National Basketball Association. It just hasn't been done in the National Football League. And I'm not sure if it is because you've got so many more people to coach in, in, in the National Football League than you do in the NBA. Um, it, it's, it's just seemingly like, hey, you played the game. You you know the game. You can coach the game yeah. in basketball. In football, it is, hey, you have to work your way up. You know, you have to have experience as a position coach or then a coordinator. I mean, we tend to make a big deal when guys are moved from being a position coach to then being a head coach in the National Football League because that's kind of what was the deal with Chuck Pagano. You know, he went from position coach to being the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts in, in 2012. And along those lines, I mean, you heard, you know, Chris basically say, hey, we tried to make him the offensive line coach in 2019. You know, so they have, they have, have had those conversations. I will say this. If there is a person that, that can make the jump and not be completely overwhelmed by it, I do think Jeff Saturday is the type of guy that can do it because of how well-liked he will be in the locker room, by how well-liked I think he would be by the guys and the coaching staff. 
that is still one hell of an ask to go from, hey, you were analyzing things on a on a Monday morning on this radio station, on ESPN television. You've had four years experience of coaching at a small high school level to then say, hey, you're being a guy in charge of, a, of an NFL game day experience for the next eight weeks on the sidelines in a CEO role for a National Football League team. That's one hell of a leap. Greg, I think that regardless of what happens during this interim time of coaching up this football team, that he's going to have a gig doing something. Maybe not as a coach, maybe as a player personnel director, team president, maybe it's the general manager. I I think that he has been assured a gig. Do you think this is any kind of test for him whatsoever in terms of having future employment within this organization? I think that's a fair assumption. I think you could almost say this is a fact-finding mission at this point to see exactly what you've got on this roster, what pieces you would like to have stay going forward from a from an assistant coaching standpoint, positional coaching standpoint, coordinators, et cetera, uh, to see, you know, to see what's here. And so that would put some logic behind it, which a lot of us were struggling to find yesterday. So Greg Gregstraw, post game show host and more via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So was Chris Ballard the angry guy during that performance last night because he was not in agreement with what the owner was doing and this decision was he angry because before him were a bunch of people that basically all season long have been talking about how his decisions stink or was a guy questioning where his future might be going within this organization? What were we looking at? Can all of those things be true? I mean, I think probably so. Yeah, I think I had a lot of truth on every one right there. I, I don't. I don't think you have to look further than three, five, and one in year six. You know, when you had a, a you know, in, in 2018, you had a really good year. Even though I had a slow start, you go to the playoffs. You win nine of your last ten. You win a road playoff game. 2018 is a good year. 2019, it went off the rails because of something you probably didn't have control of. You find a way in 2020 for it to bounce back into an 11 win team. Then that quarterback elects to leave. Um, in 2021, you thought you had a good thing going, and it imploded on you the final two weeks. And so knowing that you needed to deliver a big year, even with all of everything else that has transpired in the last 48 hours, in terms of the Chris Ballard ticked-off factor, I don't think you have to go any farther than 3-5-1 and one and had to make a move on your head coach. Um, in the middle of the season. I think that's enough reason to be angry about life. Greg, I said this at the beginning of the show, and it's clear because I'm one. I mean, I look at the golden era of everything around here, whether we're talking about the Colts and certainly with the Pacers. um, I would view that point from an IU basis as well in basketball because when you win and you're highly successful, those are going to be the most memorable moments. And Jim Irsay with this football team right now is clearly still living the moments during that golden era. And I, I think we see some of that. We've seen that with the decisions. There's no question. I think we also see that with this Jeff Saturday decision. But here's most important to me, and I want to play off of what you you answer. I, I think now that Jim Irsay needs to realize one of the biggest benefits of the golden era here that went to winning 
that went to success, that elite-level consistency among team after team during that era came when he stepped away, and he was an owner and let football people, in this case, Bill Poley yep. and Tony Dungy, handle the football side of it. That, to me, is what he needs to recognize and recognize moving forward. I would completely agree with that. And as the, the owner-operator-slash-ambassador role that he has largely had, Especially in the especially in the social media era, Jim has been absolutely fantastic. It's not been a problem of Jim Irsay spending money. It's not been a problem of Jim Irsay giving time for coaches and general managers to be successful. In that aspect of being an owner, he has been absolutely tremendous. I'm sure there are other examples you can think of. Mark Cuban will probably come to mind. But in the National Football League, do you think of an owner that engages his fans in an almost exclusively positive way that Jim Irsay has done. No, he has been tremendous. Um, I would hope that going forward that those are the areas in which he continues to focus on and continue to excel. This, this to me, this whole operation is FUBAR. If he believes when he looks in the mirror that he sees Jerry Jones. I hope I again. I, I hope he does not. I, I I hope he sees Jim Irsay and as again a, a guy that yes knows football uh, and a guy that 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 this is his primary baby. This this is what the Irsay family foundation is literally built on. Would be the Indianapolis Colts. Um, just being Jim Irsay is good enough. Yeah, and I, I think that that's to me. If if you're going to live through the great years of success here, that. That, to me, is the most important. Now, granted, yeah, you need a quarterback like Peyton Manning. Great. But the most important moving forward is just let the football people you hire handle football because that was one of the great benefits of the Bill Polian era here. That is correct. And, so, and, and, and since, frankly, since it has been Jim as, as, as the lead member of the family from, say, 94, 95 on, there has been a, a person running the football operation. It was first Bill Tobin, then Bill Pullian, obviously Ryan Grigson, and now Chris Ballard. Um, and that's whether it's whether it's in Chris you know, after after this year, we'll see. But again, that's what that's what Jim has excelled at for the better part of the last three decades trying to find the right guy, and then letting that person do their job. Hey, Greg, I could be completely wrong about this. I don't think they care too much about winning right now, and I think if they really did look to try to find a way to win, to try to be more competitive, and to do it as of Sunday, Nick Foles starts, in this case, over Sam Ellinger. Would you believe that? I think there's something to that. Frankly, it, it, it's the left tackle position that I think is even more leaning in that direction. Because um, you saw it the week before. Sam Ellinger played winning football uh, against the Washington Commanders, and the Commanders aren't a great team. Um, but, but what he did was good enough to win the football game. Uh, there were just enough mistakes just enough, you know, play calls, decisions, et cetera. Defense not being able to finish after playing exceedingly well for 50 minutes. Oh, that Sam Ellinger can win you a football game. And against a team like the Raiders, I think he can win you a football game. Is Nick Foles perhaps a better option? Maybe. But, but to me, Bernard Ryman, again, I understand to some degree you want to play the young guy to see exactly what you have. It's the same logic in Sam Ellinger. But when Ryman has been out there, it has often been a turnstile at left tackle. In his specific position, if he's not up to snuff, 
then you're completely killing your chances to win a football game. And again, maybe winning is the most important thing right now. But it's a little bit different to me at left tackle than at quarterback, where, you know, quarterback's going to make some mistakes, but you can learn from them. Left tackle's going to make some mistakes, you can make your quarterback hurt. And to me, you're always going to have more of a focus on the quarterback than left tackle. I get it. But that's just kind of my mindset going into those those two specific moves, personal decisions that were announced last night. Coming off that embarrassment in Foxborough on Sunday, maybe people don't look at it the same because that's where the bar is set with this team right now. But have you allowed yourself to think about the possibility of how much of a discombobulated mess this thing may look like in Vegas on Sunday? Uh, there is a potential for that. You know, when you do not determine a play caller until Tuesday, <laughs> yeah. um, and knowing that, you know, Monday and Tuesday, you know, that's, <laughs> that's where the foundation is laid. You know, you have to have your game plan put together by the time your guys get back in the building on Wednesday, because Wednesday is install day, Thursday is fine tuning day. And by Friday, you're, you're kind of winding down to, to go play the football game and travel in this case the next day. So if you're saying, is there a potential for this Sunday to look a lot like last Sunday against a team that I don't think is as good defensively as the team you just played? Yes, there is a high potential for that to happen. How do you think the players are reacting to this? Day off today? Here's here's how I'll frame this up to you because I I had heard that within that locker room there was some discontent when they made the change for good for the season to Ellinger from sure. Ryan. So if that were true, how do you think they feel about this move? I have no earthly idea because again, it has been six decades since you brought somebody in that had not coached in, in college in the national football league and made them an NFL head coach. So clearly that's a lot longer than them dudes have been alive. So we are, we are all living in very unique times and much as we are not sure how to process this. Uh, I guarantee you the guys in that locker room feel the exact same way. All right. So what you're telling me, since there's a lot of oddballishness going on right now, let's say this. Sunday is finally the time I get what I'm looking for. Sunday's the time to start Quentin Nelson at left tackle, right? That's <laughs> the time is seriously, the time is now. You're doing all this other stuff. So now's the time to get fifty six on the outside. If it had, if 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 Jeff had not said that Bernard Ryman was going to be the guy at left tackle on on Sunday, <laughs> you're gone. Yeah, well, that may be fleeting those moments, but I'm, I'm yeah, I'm I'm kind of halfway serious, not completely yeah. serious. I know that it's not going to happen, but I mean, hell, you're doing all this other stuff. Why right. not that? Because now now bringing that up and then having Chris Ballard laugh at it that doesn't that doesn't sound as outlandish anymore, does it? When you think about there, it, there, there is nothing that is, I'm trying to not use a double negative here. <laughs> there is now nothing that is unbelievable in terms of game plan, strategy, personnel moves, coaching decisions. Again, given the fact that as of nine 30 yesterday afternoon, Jeff Saturday was an analyst on this radio station yeah. or nine 30 yesterday morning. And as of one 30 yesterday afternoon, he was the head football coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Hey, one quick thing regarding the start of college basketball last night. Anything strike, anything pique your interest about what went down in night number one? I mean, the fact that it didn't really affect the local teams, but the fact that a lot of, of, of I wouldn't say top 25 contenders, but that a lot of, of, of major college schools lost some bye games, that's a good thing. It is also so stinking early. Well, I'm I'm always happy to have – 
college basketball, then a couple of, of NAI games. I'll have my first IUPUI game coming up a, a, a week from this Saturday. Um, I understand why so many teams get knocked off on November yeah. the 7th because, man, you know, they're, they're going to be – even the bad teams are still playing on March 7th. It is a long, long college basketball season. But, frankly, as far as the local teams were concerned, Butler won their bye game. IU won their bye game. Heck, Ball State beat a Division three team by 70. I mean, it, it, nobody, slept, n- nobody slipped with a banana peel last night at Indiana College Basketball. All right. Well, enjoy your regionals coming up on Friday. Where are you going to be? So I got, I, got, I got two big games on Friday and Saturday. So I've got uh, Center Grove and yep. Warren Central. Uh, on Friday night, so I'm going to be in your neck of the woods at CG on Friday night. Nice. And then Saturday for the second year, I have to call the Monon Bell game. Nice. So Great. I will be in Greencastle for Wabash and DePaul. That game on Comcast 81, ISC Sports Network, social media, etc. But uh, I, I so loved my experience in Crawfordsville last year. I can't wait to be at uh, at uh, Greencastle to experience it for the first time on Saturday afternoon. Greg, appreciate you. Enjoy your weekend. Have a great post-game show on Sunday as well. We'll do it next week. Thanks, John. Greg, Greg Straw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.